Exodus chapter 13, we're actually in 14 now, but I want to briefly go over 13. That was actually talking about how it, we reminded the Israelites the purpose of Passover, and they had in, in, um, ordinances, a reminder. The, the major thing about chapter 13 was as us parents, as us Christians, to bear witness all that God has done in our lives. Amen? Do your children know all that God has done for you? Do you know all that God has done for your children and vice versa? Do we too, truly trust in God in all things? I know I don't. I trust in God with the boulders in my way. I trust that He'll remove those and I have no problem. It's the little stone in my shoe that I start getting irritated at. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, all, all's lost here. But we have to, we have the reminders of, if you look back in your own life, we listen to the testimonies here, all that God has done in our life. We sang a song tonight, Here I Am to Worship, and on the bridge it says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. God is constantly doing for us I appreciate one time Gide had gave us a prayer. He said, Lord, you are good to us continuously. Yes. Do we remember that? And in his goodness, do we trust him? Do we remember to trust him? And here we have in Exodus chapter 14, as I've said before, God sometimes raises difficulties in the way of salvation for his people, that he may have the glory of holding the difficulties back and helping his people overcome them. And here we're having, as they've already set off away from Egypt, remember, they got kicked out of Egypt after the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. They got kicked out. The Egyptian says, here, take all our belongings, whatever you want. Pharaoh says, get out. Everybody, all of you, out. And so there they are. They leave rejoicing, hands held high, not just high-fiving each other, and they might as well have, but they were praising Worshiping, thank you, Lord, we are free. In the words of Martin Luther King, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. No longer slaves. A redeemed people. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it, by the sea. Apparently, as they were going from the trek, they left Egypt around the land of Gershom, probably around Cairo, don't know exactly where. But they're trekking through the desert. And God tells them, okay, I want you to go to a place now. I have a place prepared for you. And how is it for us also? God has something prepared for us, but don't understand it at the moment. We have situations in our lives as we're traveling down life's road. We could see a storm coming ahead. Uh, I don't think I want to go down that path. If I have a fork in the road, I'm going to go opposite that way. Depending on our, even on our own um, will, if you will, <laughs> we try to choose a different path. But guess what? Storm moves right over. And then we can remember Romans 8:28 for all things come together, right, and so on. When we go through these difficulties, we don't understand, God, where are you? What ha- what's happening? I feel so all alone. When we, come through the cr- when we come through the other side, we can look back like, oh, God, you're so awesome. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that bad. 
But he sends them to a place here. The word migdal is a, word, is a Hebrew word for fortress. So there might have been like a garrison, like a cliff on one side. And on the other side, um, it was um, uh, Pai Harayof. Pi, try, you, you try to pronounce it. <laughs> it actually meant mouth of the cave. So on one side, there was like a cliff or a garrison. On the other side, it might have even been a mountainside with caves. And these caves were there for a reason, right? It could have been some wild animals living in there. But the probability is also that the Egyptians had had um, fortresses throughout the region. This could have been a military place to, as a lookout to, to watch out for the incoming um, travelers. Uh, the term um, Baal Zephon, is all, there's a probability that that was also a lighthouse. Regardless, they enter into this one place. They're surrounded. The only place they can go is to the sea. Guess what they don't have? They don't have any boats or any transportation, so they're camped there. God brought them there for a special purpose there. He brought them there by the sea. We can think at, uh, I, I think of how, if you remember that movie, The Ten Commandments, and it was Yul Brenner as he's standing there, the God of Moses is a poor general. They have no way out. That's true. And so he's probably smug and thinking, we're going to ambush these guys. But guess what? I think the Lord had it the other way. I'm going to ambush you and your men here. Verse 3 says, For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Now, according to Josephus, he, he writes that um, as, as the Pharaoh will, as we'll see in a couple of verses, as they go chasing after the Israelites, pretty mountainous country around the land of Israel. It's pretty tough for chariots and horsemen to go through, let alone even people on feet or in carts, on foot on car or in carts. So he, as whoever, they might have passed by, either other Bedouins, travelers, you know, or tradesmen, they might have said, hey, you seen about three million people walk this way? You seen which way they went? Sure, they went that way. So that's how, you know, God is already um, prophesying as Pharaoh's response here. They're in a bad place, and we're going to get them. Another thing, too, to consider is that these Israelites were slaves all their lives. If I was only locked up in one place, and all of a sudden the cage doors open, it's like, wow, where do I go now? He's probably speculating upon that and relying upon that also. But we have to remember, Moses was brought up in the ways of the Egyptians, in the arts, in the philosophies, probably in the military. Here we had a leader who was prepared by God to be the ultimate shepherd to three million people. And that's a huge congregation. Verse 4 says, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Man, if ten plagues didn't do it, you know, you talk about the hardness of the heart, the thickness of the skull. Um, God still will be magnified here. Verse 5 says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Apparently there must have been a time of mourning don't know exactly how long it, it had been since, Egypt, um, since Israel had left Egypt. But there must have been a time of mourning for the firstborn after they kicked the, uh, Israel out. 
And of course, Pharaoh's informed, hey, the slaves have fled. Well, I don't know if they had fled. Remember, he kicked them out. But at the same time, they were not only kicked out, but they were given a lot of things to leave. And God told them, be prepared for the time of Passover, for the time to leave. You're not going to have time to sit down. You're not going to have time for your bread to rise. It's going you know, it's, it's to be without um, um, <laughs> leaven. <laughs> and so remember how it's just like it was an immediate thing. Judgment is here. Time to leave. Time to go. They were kicked out. Yet the term, remember how Pharaoh had said, um, we mean they had fled. I thought I gave them three days journey to go on the wilderness with all their families, with all their animals, with all their stock. They're supposed to come back. Well, sorry, Pharaoh, that's not the idea. They split. And so now he's thinking, oh my gosh, what have we done? Who's going to build our pyramids? Who's going to build my memorial to me? Who's going to honor me? Rather than concentrate on what had happened to their firstborn, you know, the horror of it all, if my child died, I think I'd still be there. Now he's looking at the economic loss. Where are the priorities here? And not only that, but it's Pharaoh and his servants. These guys are all of one mind, and all they wanted was that economic value. Perhaps Pharaoh was considering not only the economic loss of the building, but all the stuff that they had taken from us, too. I want my stuff back, I want my economy back, and I want my slaves back. How dare these guys... Uh, defy me. Don't they know they have a job to do? So verse 6 says, So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers, all of them, over all of them. He took the best of the best. If you're considering even World War II with the Germans, the Panzer Division, he's taking the best of the tanks here. We're going to get the best of the best, and we're going to go after these guys. Um, where it says that there were officers over all the chariots, um, uh, from what we can understand, is that there were three men per chariot, with approximately anywhere from two to four horses pulling a chariot. The three men, well, one was the driver. He was supposed to, you know, navigate the chariot. One guy was behind him protecting the driver. And the third guy was the guy doing all the slashing and hacking. So there was approximately three men to these chariots. And there was a lot of foot soldiers there, all armed. A lot of horsemen. So we have this wave of an army, all of Egypt, all the uh, elite Republican guard coming over here. We're going to wipe out all these Hebrews here, all these Israelites. They're going to go after them. Verse 8 says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel, as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. That term boldly there is what I was talking about. They were leaving high-handed, leaving in worship and praise like they're so excited. We're finally free. We're out of here. High-fiving, worshiping. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth, in front of Baal Zephon. So they finally caught up to them. They caught to them in this cul-de-sac, if you will. They're trapped in there. They're at the mouth of this place. Ha! Ah, we see them. We're going to nail them. We're going to annihilate these guys. Victory is ours. There they are in their smugness. 
militarily thinking, we got it made because the Israelites didn't leave with any weaponry. They left with whatever was on their back, whatever was in their homes, and whatever they took from us. These guys don't know how to fight, more than likely. And verse 10 says, as, Jer- as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. I'll tell you what, if I was on the run, if I thought I was free, all of a sudden I see this huge army coming after me, rightly so, these people were afraid. They saw Pharaoh and the entire army. They saw the world's superpower coming after them. Now chances are too that some of the slaves that were, were not only just builders, but they were probably, uh, um, what would you call them, lackeys for some of the soldiers in the army and stuff. So they probably seen a lot of these guys work out. They knew what they were capable of doing. So of course they were probably very afraid. But the great thing is that this says that they cried out to the Lord. Lord, we're stuck here, three million of us, and however many of them they are, even though we are many in number, we are not skilled. What are we going to do? Remember, there's, um, I think, only 600 men that were counted. The rest were women and children. A lot of them were of the mixed multitude that left with the Israelites. And the mixed multitude did not just consist of Egyptians that left with them. Remember, there were also other slaves. This was the capital of the world at that time. So there was people from all over the area. That's where you get this huge mixed multitude coming in. But it says that the sons of Israel called upon the Lord. They knew where to go. And here's the however in verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Now, I'm sure those who cried out to the Lord, there might have been two camps. The unbelieving ones like, Oh! Why did you bring us out here? And the other ones who were probably faithful to the Lord after seeing all these ten plagues that God had kept His promise. Lord, where are you? And yet, here they were complaining to Moses. You had an ulterior motive for bringing us out of Egypt. Weren't there enough graves? If you watch the movie, I'm going to refer to this movie quite often, Ten Commandments, I love it. (laughs) It's um, Edward G. Robinson. What, there's not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out? Well, guess what? What was Egypt fascinated with? Death. There was a lot of tombs in Egypt. Their obsession was death. Their culture revolved around death. There was plenty of room for graves there. They called out to Moses. Josephus says that as they were probably rising up in anger, could have been part of the mixed multitude, they were probably there you know, stirring it up, as we'll, we'll be told later on, that they were the ones who were the main culprits for stirring things up. They're probably saying, hey man, what is this? And so, yeah, what is this? They're really stirring up the mob here. Well, Josephus tells us that in their anger, they picked up stones to chuck them to Moses. But Moses, being a man of God here, gives them his response here. In verse 13 it says, But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. He is trying to not only calm them down, but encourage them. And that's something that we should do, folks, as as, as Christians, when we see someone in trouble, do we pray for them? Do we try to give them the peace of God? 
I know the world doesn't understand that, but as brothers and sisters, we can encourage each other. It's a blessing. Sometimes after church on Sundays, we can see a circle of people praying for each other. As it is here on Wednesday nights, we sit around and we pray for each other, lifting each other up. Now, fear and faith cannot dwell in the same heart. If we trust God, we need not be afraid. Amen? God says, trust me. Remember all that I've done in your life for you. Do you trust me? And we can only say, yes, Lord. There is no but. <laughs> yes. Yes, I trust you. Now, it's interesting here, too, how the people were just revolting and just shouting and wanting to fight Moses. They were saying that, uh, uh, sorry, I forgot verse 12. It says, is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. For them, their thought of ideas was, uh, I'd rather be a slave rather than die a free man or fight as a free man. I want to go back to the world than the liberation that you have given us, God. They had it in their minds just to, just to give up and give in to the Egyptians. They said, you know what? Forget this. Forget it. Uh, no, I'll go back. I'll go back. And this is reminiscent to me of the four soils. If you recall, when Jesus was talking about the four soils, or the four soils, and then one of them says, um, basically just drops everything because at this first hint of any kind of difficulty, they just run back. And that's what these people were like. They had seen, believed a little bit, but not enough. How much more are we better than that? I know for us, we have seen and we have heard. But sometimes we come back over here. We sang a song tonight also, Jesus, Draw Me Close. If you are drawn close to the Lord, if you have multiple encounters with the Lord, that fear will never be there. But the confidence that the Lord will take care of things no matter what. We have saints who are going through some sicknesses, difficulties financially, work stresses, whatever the case, but the joy is still there. They trust in God no matter what. And Moses said that the Lord will fight for you. If God is for us, then who can be against us? I think that is such a blessing. How big is your God? Moses says, do not fear. Stand by and see. The salvation of the Lord. Salvation in the Old Testament at first meant the deliverance, but later on become, it would become the spiritual aspect of which we would be saved. Now we see three commands here from Moses. Fear not. God is on our side. Stand still. For you cannot win this battle on your own strength and see the salvation of the Lord for He will fight for you. I took a first aid class in my freshman year of high school and one of the ones was that, you know, if you see a drowning victim, wait till they stop fluttering, wait till they tire themselves out and then come and pull them in. These people start freaking out, you know, and that's the thing to do to a friend. Okay, I'm trying to help you but you're going to bring me down. So you wait for them. Um, kind of embarrassed to mention this, but I'll mention it to you anyway. At work, I experienced this at work. Believe it or not, we our my manager had commissioned our main machinist to manufacture a pontoon boat there for the Jungle Cruise. And you can see some of the boats there that they they're driven on the, by a motor, but they're on the rail. 
And so this pontoon boat was to go on a, on a couple islands that we do have there. We have islands there. And it's for, for um, the maintenance of the animation figures, such as the big elephants that you see there. Well, the only way to get across there is through a boat. Well, when they had first pieced this boat together, there was only two men, and they had um, put in, a, uh, uh, they tacked an aluminum frame together with a you know, small spot weld, and then they placed some fiberboard upon it. And they both got on and said, wow, the pontoon is barely sinking in. It's not even submerging much. So then they completed the boat about a month later, and I went over there to assist them to bring it, to put it together. Well, this time there was a lot more aluminum frame, a lot more, and what they had was the flooring was some steel uh, grates. So we put this thing together, and these guys had in their mind, hey, there's a total of eight of us. Why don't we all get on this boat? Well, boys being boys, yeah, why not? So then we put it on the, into, the wa- into the water, and of course the boat's not in, all the, in the water all the way it's a little bit on the shore there and for those of you guys who don't know the water the, 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 it's, there's, um, it's covered by cement the waterway and of course they put the water there and so it was stuck on the cement on the shore there and I'm getting on me and my friend we have these oars we're pushing and pushing and one guy says uh, I don't feel comfortable about this so he gets off ah you sissy get out of here then so as soon as he got off, that extra weight lifted up. We pushed off with a pontoon, and there's uh, six of us on this pontoon boat. All of a sudden, it starts going like this because there's too much weight forward, not enough in the back. Well, there we go in the drink. And it sounded like a man's choir because we're going, oh, we'll fall down. Well, one of the men, uh, now the water there in this area should only be approximately three to four feet. The man who fell in after me, he started really freaking out. And because it was such a cold day, it was 6.30 in the morning, approximately around that time it must have been 40 degrees. So if you picture the water that much colder, I have my sweatshirt on and this big winter jacket on, my work boots, everything on me. And so he starts fluttering around and he starts pulling me down. And he's pulling in, and he's stepping on another guy. He literally submerged another man and started stepping on him. So he's freaking out here. And I'm yelling let go of me you know stop pulling me down and but i looked at his face because i was ready to slug him just to get him off me because he he felt he was going down he was going to pull me down too and everyone else around him but i saw the fear in his face so then the anger went away but just because he was freaking out he wasn't standing still all he had to do was stand up and everyone else on the shore would have just pulled us aside in the same way here stand still be still be still. Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be as exalted among the nations. Despair will cast you down, keeping you from standing. Fear will tell you to retreat. Impatience will tell you to do something now. Presumption will tell you to jump into the Red Sea before it is parted. Be still. We're in a place. God will take care of it. He led you here. And I can see where some of the reaction of the people is authentic. They want, they, they're anxious. I have a bad back and I had MRIs done. And if you guys ever had an MRI done, they stick you in this tube to where your face is maybe three inches away. Of course, you start feeling that claustrophobia, that anxiety, like, oh, I got to get out, but just be still. So I can understand where these people are coming from. 
Verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now this was interesting to me. I'm I'm thinking, why would God tell Moses, "Why Why are you crying out to me? Perhaps it's because back in verse 2, verses 1 and 2, where God was probably, probably revealing his plan, giving a little bit of insight to Moses. Look, I'm going to take you to a place and I will take care of it. You should know better than these people. So it could have been perhaps that after Moses is encouraging these people, he probably turned around and, oh my gosh, Lord, I need your help here. He's probably biding time, figuring out what he should do. Don't know the case. But anyway, God tells him, why are you crying out to me? There's, some, there's a time for you to pray, I guess when you don't know what's going on, obviously. But there's a time to just start doing it when you know I'm going to take care of it. He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. They couldn't go back to the Egyptians. That's not the plan. Go forward. Well, the only place, Lord, is the sea. That's right. That's where you need to go. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. It's not going to be marshy. It's not going to be muddy. It's not going to be damp. It's going to be a dry land. Just as you were walking down the street here. God has given him his... his, He's already revealing his plan here. He's getting encouragement. You're going to be okay. I meant for you to be here. Verse 17 says, As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. In case you didn't get it the first time, God's saying it again. If you, if you ever look at a chapter... When, especially when Paul, when he writes epistles, he says, he gives you a point. Then later on as you read it, he rephrases it, but it's the same point. Look guys, heads up here, I'm telling you something that's very important. It's just like when Jesus used to say, verily, verily, I, tr- I say to you, check this out, you need to highlight this. Mentally, spiritually, however you want to do it in your Bible, in your brain, in your soul. Going back to verse 13 where Moses told them, guys, everything's going to be okay. You're never going to see these guys again. Could have meant two things. Number one, physically, but also spiritually. The wickedness, the darkness that's in their hearts to want to destroy us. Guess where they won't be in the next life? They're so enamored with death. They want death, they're going to get it. When God tells us twice here, in verses 17 and 18 that the Egyptians will finally know it wasn't through the 10th plague that they finally got it but here is going to be it for them when God delivers us from a temptation or crisis as much of a testimony to our adversaries as it is to us you heard of hard times how how certain people are going through some hard times and thinking Lord why is that happening for them I keep praying for them or we keep lifting them up could be an encouragement for us to lift them up. Could be an encouragement for people who, do, who dislike them and, and want the bad things to happen for them. It's like, ha, 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 this is happening to you. But it's also for us to be revealed of the glory of God. We were renting a house in Yerba Linda approximately five years ago. And I, um, 
I it was on, during a, it was on a Wednesday. I still remember this as if it was yesterday. I was working third shift at the time. At the time, my shift was midnight to 10:30 a.m. And I usually used to go to bed around three, two, two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I could not sleep whatsoever. I could not sleep. I heard a knock at the front door, and I heard some discussion. And Rebecca later comes in through the room, peeks in there, and I just look at her. I could not sleep. My mind was just busy. And she says, "I need to tell you something. We just got evicted." Really? Yeah, and he wants us out by the end of the month. This was the beginning of August. And within that time, I already had it, we already had in our hearts, we wanted out of there. This guy was the ultimate slumlord. This guy was a dirtbag. And we already had in our hearts to look around for some property. Now, we had two miracles here. Rebecca was adamant about staying in Orange County. The first miracle was that she actually considered looking out here. <laughs> that was a great miracle. We saw the house, and we fell in love with it immediately. We went through a 20-day escrow. September 1st, we were in our house. You look back, God, what's going on? What, what am I supposed to do with this? But God, in His wisdom, takes care of His children. Just an encouragement. Why am I going through this? And verse 19 says, The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. When we see this terminology here, angel of God, depending on how the context is, it's usually, I think it's known as a Christology, or the manifestation of Christ in some way in the Old Testament before his incarnate form in the New Testament. We see various, various examples in the Old Testament. In Joshua, if you recall, before the Battle of Jericho, Joshua leads the children of Israel into Ai or around Jericho, and he's going, wow, we have a problem here. We've got to overtake this place. And so as he's walking around at night, he encounters a man there. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 10 through 15, he sees a man that stood there opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua says, okay, are you for us or for the enemy? And the man answers back, he says, neither. He says, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off the sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Where do we see that before? If you recall Exodus chapter 3, Moses came before this bush that was burning, and he heard a voice. It says, take off your sandals, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, or the ground that you stand on is holy. There was no argument there, these men worshipped God. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 17, when, um, in actually chapter 18, when Abraham was in the, in the, um, in the land of Mamre, in the oaks of Mamre, in the plains of Mamre there, he encountered three men. One man and two of his assistants. It turns out that the one man was the Lord himself. In verse 18 of 17, chapter 18 says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Which he was going to cast judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 22, remember when Abraham was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Right before he plunged that knife. The angel of the Lord says, Now I know that you will do what I have asked you. 
And he gave him a substitute, a substitute sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 32, if you recall, when Jacob was left alone, he was wrestling with a man. And the man touched him all night. He was wrestling with him all night. And the man touched him in his hip. And later on, it says, um, um, Jacob says, um, I have seen the face of God, and my life is preserved. In Judges chapter 13, there was a man, Manoah and his wife, they, they encountered an angel of the Lord. And they said, we shall surely die because we have seen God. Recall in John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus said unto them, Verily I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The voice of the burning bush says, I am that I am. Jesus claimed to be the voice of the burning bush. As in chapter 13 of Exodus, we saw how this cloud by day, this pillar of cloud, led the children out as a shepherd. And here we see the defender, our God, our hero, the work of the cross, our redeemer. Verse 20 says, So it came, the curse concerning the cloud, between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus one did not come near the other at night. On one side of the cloud, it was all darkness that belonged to the Egyptians. The light was there for the Israelites. And how is it that God's word, you know, Jesus spoke in parables. His, his, his um, disciples asked him, why do you speak in parables? So that those who have the spirit to hear, let them hear. And those, they will confound the rest of the world. The world, the world does not understand God. They will reject him. They don't understand his works. They choose to stay into the darkness here. So this is how it was that the, co the cloud covering was for them. It's also interesting to, to note, too, that even though the Egyptians were surrounding them, not just in the, upon the opening of that cul-de-sac, but they crawled up probably upon the cliffs to let them see their presence. Hey, we're, gonna he we're here to get you no matter how much you try to leave. Cloud comes along takes them out of the sight of the Israelites to give them to redeem their hope again. As long as they see their enemy at the gates, well, the fear is always going to be there. Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. If you recall, the last time we saw an east wind was when the east wind that Moses had summoned for the locusts to come in. An east wind came along, brought all the locusts in for the judgment upon the Egyptians. A west wind, the next day, took them all out. Here we see another east wind. Now the Red Sea, of course, you get some commentators who are wishy-washy. They say, well, the actual translation is the Reed Sea. So when this, whole, this wind from the east came along as a warm wind, as a dry wind, and allowed maybe a few feet of water for the Israelites to pass through. Yet when the, when the wind subsided, then how do you get Egyptians drowning in three feet of water? But God says that I will allow everybody to walk through a dry land. If we can understand and accept Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God, you should have no problems all the way up until Revelation, where he says, even so, Lord Jesus, come. If God had a wind come along and dry a pathway for his children. You should have no problems in believing that. Including that he uh, created a fish to swallow a whole man. Should be no problems with there. 
Now, we don't know exactly where the place was. You get speculations, you get um, monuments and say, this is where the crossing occurred. Well, there's occasional floods here and there. There's not a definite place. Um, I logged on to this one website, this archaeological website, and they say, we have found the place here. See all the stuff that's sunken. Well, they're in the Gulf, they're, they're in the Gulf of Aqaba. They're along the um, Saudi Arabian Peninsula. That's not where the Red Sea is. The Red Sea, if you look at the globe, it's actually here because it splits off like this and then it comes down like a Y. The Red Sea is over here because Mount Sinai is right in the center between these two seas here. But we, the fact is, we, I'm sure we don't know. And the reason for that, I'm sure, is that I think people would make a religious thing out of it. They would worship the creation or the instrument that was used rather than the creator for the work that he has done. So the fact is, we don't know, but the God did set um, some dry ground for the children to walk through. Verse 22 says, The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. We're reminded there again a third time. And the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Psalm 77, if you have a chance to look at that, verses 16 through 20 says, The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. Okay, that doesn't sound like three feet of water. Could have been few hundred feet, it doesn't matter. It says that the depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Verse 23 says, Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. Could have been their lust or the desire to want to get these Israelites, but anyway, God hardened their hearts. It's like he put a hook in their jaws and said, Okay, come on in. Water's fine. Verse 24 says, At the morning watch, approximately 4 a.m., the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Well, after ten other incidences, there's only one word, duh. After seeing all these plagues, Pharaoh acknowledged, their God, uh, Pharaoh's magicians acknowledged, their God is a mightier God than ours. Could have been, again, once again, God caused the judgment upon the idols, the false gods of, Israel, of Egypt. One more thing here. Your gods are still false. I'm God and they're not. He's reminding, I'm sure, again, the Israelites, I am God. Be still. We'll go ahead and end there, and we'll, presume, we'll resume next week. But just recall, all that God has done, continues to do for us. He is never ceasing. How much does God love us? He loves you this much. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, so much again for this time. And we pray, Father, that your word just stays in our heart, in our minds, Lord.
Help us, Lord, to digest these words and these things that you have done in our lives, Lord, as well as these examples written in your word, Father, that we can gain encouragement for these things. Help us, Lord, to gain strength so that we may be a better witness for you, Father. We pray, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.